Welcome to What the Fit, a podcast about what it means to be fit. Whatever the fuck that means. Andy, I see you. Hello, Hello, Anthony. Welcome to What the Fit. Hey, Chrissy. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We have a very, very special guest co-host today. This is a What the Fit first. This is a first of many things. The first episode (laughs) recording at my at-home new in-studio, Rubio Studio. Gorgeous. Thank you. I love the Rubio Studio. First time recording with a guest co-host who has not been a primary guest first. (laughs) Ooh, credits. But I think we, I mean, you're a big, big warm welcome to you. What the fit. And quick background on Anthony. If anyone follows me on Instagram, which you obviously all should be doing, You've Please. absolutely seen him stunting in all the looks <laughs> and wearing all the boots. Um, he is one of my best friends. You've heard him. You've heard me talk about him on countless podcasts, doing my closet organization. But above all else, he has a very unique way <laughs> of walking in a room and making everyone fear, feel valued and welcomed. Thank you. It's a very special gift that you have. Not to wow. mention that your energy is off the chart. Everyone just wants to be around you at all times. Um, you have to get it. You are the mayor of OTR. <laughs> You're an in- incredibly special human being. And I'm so excited to have you on oh, the intro. You. And run through these, these same three questions that we do. Mm-hmm. And your perspective so let's start it off what's been your favorite workout anthony oh cool okay so i thought about this a lot uh first i want to say thank you so much for having me because you are just like the a goddess of conversation (laughs) and you've helped me to become better at conversing um and so yeah i'm just really geeked to like step into this realm and do some some deep words i know i'm so glad to have you and we're in my fucking house i'm not wearing shoes no no shoes white claws on deck um it's honestly wild. professional as hell like i somebody <laughs> come rent this space yeah. like rent this space you will be impressed um my favorite workout oh my goodness this is i always say this is a workout and it's really not um stunting yes. through otr yes. in a heeled boot yes walking for miles 100 percent. That is i miss that shit extremely <laughs> difficult like, we had a short taste uh, last week we went to Pep and Dolores for oh dinner and you wore the boot with the shorts, which then inspired my look mm-hmm. for this past weekend with a short and, and a, a boot. boot. And you look fabulous. Literally. Okay. First of all, Christelle, those boots are literally the exact boots that I got because <laughs> for you, cause I was like, I think you need this boot. And then you found that boot. So if anyone needs an extra boot, yeah, size we, nine, we have an uh, extra boot. get in my DMs because you too can have a knee high boot. But you have to talk about your boot, though, that you wore on Thursday. What- oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it is a good old discount ASOS piece. Uh, I am a big fan. And it's a stacked platform, uh, money green with no, this. literally <laughs> dollar bills on it. Not like the color of money mm-hmm. green, like actual dollar bills on the boot. Didn't it make you kind of feel like uh, Rihanna, bitch better have my money? It absolutely like did. that's like when I saw it, I was like, this is a fuck you pay me boot. Exactly. And like I I just needed it. Um, I'm really tacky and call it uh, my capitalist boot. It's a capitalist I boot. also sometimes call it my reparation boot. I almost think it's like a <laughs> stimulus boot. It's a stimulus boot. It is a full stimulus boot. Uh, <laughs> 
No, but that is so true. And, and you know, especially in our in our previous days of, of going out and like being out all night in a heel, working Yo. it, dancing. Dancing for hours. Like no sitting calves and booty just like flat. I would wake up the next morning and like every the steps that I would just take to get to the toilet in the morning, just right? like excruciating pain <laughs> on the bottom of my feet after being in a heel for seven hours dancing. Honestly. And then it's like, I have to do yoga now because a bitch is really tense. Like, dude, I'm, my whole body needs rolled. I know. Um, but beyond that, I actually um, have been speaking of tension. I've been blocking, working a lot on my like upper neck um, and my lower back. So I like to do, you know, like a lot of stretching. Yes. You like um, your yoga. I love my yoga. So I've been working on those spots and I'm becoming a lot more uh, focused on those spots. And, um, and it's just my body is feeling a lot better. What are you doing for it? Um, so I do like most workouts with yoga with Tim because yeah. he's an at-home YouTuber. Uh, and I'll do most classes, but I I just really fuck with him because his classes range between time frames. So I can do 20 minutes. I can do uh, an hour. Um, I'm excited because I'm going to eventually get into some system of strength situation. Oh, yeah. Um, so Let me know when you want to go. I know. I've been trying to get on that. And then Corona. And yeah. I was so... She came through. Yeah. Um, but it's like a lot of a lot of it is uh stretching and doing these like groin like stretches. So like I mean, I can't describe. I'm also, let's say, uh the least uh fitness aware person to probably be that's, on this podcast. That's not true at all. You're extremely fitness aware. You are a natural athlete. I've seen you <laughs> sprint in a heeled boot and you beat many other people that I know you're just naturally flexible you have great rhythm well, and hand-eye coordination we okay, just cool. last weekend that you were a football player yes I did play football for uh, some time uh, so no you are a fitness minded person oh all right cool I'll take those credits um but groin stretches but I've been like doing some groin stretches and some uh stretches that really like uh focus on my lower back so like laying on the ground really elongating my spine uh, and alternating between like, you know, pulling up my right leg versus my left leg with mm -hmm. the alternating leg fully stretched out and then playing with that as far as uh, the elevation and doing a little bit of a leg lift. Yeah. Um, and really trying to like focus on stretching it at like a level five rather than a level nine or 10 because oh, okay. I love to push myself to the max. And I'm like, bitch, I want to be in pain yeah, to get right. rid of the pain. And I know that's not right. Yeah. No, that's a hard, that's a hard balance to come upon where it's like, yeah, I want to feel better. So like, let me do the most mm -hmm. when really the most is doing like 50% of the 50%. thing. 50%. Yeah. It's and hard yeah, to pull back. It is. And also I notice when I pull back, I have more stamina to complete my workout mm -hmm. versus like pushing myself to the edge and just like overcompensating in my workout to feel better about it. Um, and just not really getting the most like, not like the riches out of it. Yes, not getting the riches out yeah, of it. Yeah, because you know we're trying to get rich. Right, right. <laughs> it's just like you're like like drinking from the tea, and it's just like dribbles yeah. versus a full. I've big got gulp, big gulp. Yeah, like yeah. all the nutrients. Yeah, that's what you need yeah. to do. Pull it out of there. Yeah. What about you? What you been doing, girl? I love your workouts. I'm always so, inspired. So my favorite workout for this week was speaking of system of strength, a system mm -hmm. of strength workout that I okay. went to with Kayla since he's oh, a foodie. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So I went to her high and tight class on mm -hmm. Saturday morning. And so high and tight is in the heated room. And it's um, kind of like s 
smaller movements, a lot of like core focus. Okay. Um, yes. Like up, you're up, you're down on the mat. You use a lot of different props, but lighter, mm-hmm. lighter weights. Right, right, right. And you're pretty much like nonstop for the hour. And when I first went to System of Strength, that was like my my very favorite class format. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing the digital library during quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't really like loving the high and tights from my living room. I was much more like gravitated towards in the mix, the control, like the bigger, yes. the bigger muscle classes. Right. And I think that I'm not really sure why. Maybe the lack of the heat in the room, like I said, it mm-hmm. heated. So I don't know if I just like wasn't translating that well. Or when you are at home, you don't have as many props. Like I had a yeah, band yeah, and yeah. I had light weights, but in this class, we used the ab roller, like oh, cool. the wheel. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is intense. I can How many literally do? feel my abs ripping apart. Right. We did. 30 seconds between every like block of the workout so i think we probably did i, I don't know a total of over five minutes of and the ab did wheel. your abdomen just feel like my a fucking cheese grater my abs are still sore oh my congratulations it's, i did the workout on saturday it's monday my abs are still <laughs> sore and the worst oh. thing about when your abs are sore is that you can't tighten them no no <laughs> or you maybe just tighten them and just like really just you know like, uh, 90 100 uh, percent pain so it's like you can't even like hold your oh. core in tight or like feel or like get good posture. No, right. You can't do any of that. Gosh. But I I I mean, I just love her as an mm-hmm. instructor. I mean, she's one of my really great friends. Yes. So there's that. But I love her energy in a class. It's just so it's so cheerful mm-hmm. and but but still motivating. Like for her to to hear her say my name in the middle of the workout or something yes. I can't get when I'm in my living room. Truly. The obviously the heat was amazing. Just the other like watching other people, being able to see myself in the mirror. Right. No that's real. Is real. That is what I miss the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is and looking just at yourself as you're accomplishing this goal, I'm sure. Yeah. That's what's up. Also Kayla is like a she's, gem. I know. She's so what lovely. A she's so wonderful. So that's yeah. my favorite one. Um she had some. She played some good tunes too. No, it was great overall. Was I really see good. you. Oh, see, I need to get into one. You do. You've gotten me to do some like classes I would have never tried. Honestly, what the fit has put me in more classes than how many times I have done in my lifetime. So how many times? Okay, what do you want to talk about? Um. Oh, cool. So this is my like wild card. This is, no, this is not your wild card. This is like uh, just like the fitness, wellness, whatever, yes. whatever thing that's on your mind that you want to talk my mind. about. Um. Okay. There are so many. Pick whatever you want. Okay. Because I'm going to also to to preface my thing that I want to talk about mm-hmm. is just going to be me giving you the floor. Okay. For a shared word or an expression of how okay. you're feeling right now. Wow. So if you want to just lo- make it all into one thing, we can. Because one mm-hmm. of the you know special reasons why yeah. I wanted you to come on this podcast too is that with everything going on, and I think there are many different ways and avenues that we're mm-hmm. all going to have to travel down to yes. fight the injustice and to continually pressing on that Black Lives Matter. Right. And I think one of the ways that I can help, one of the small ways I can help is just to help get out and help share mm-hmm. Black stories. Yes. Black people telling I stories. I love that you have been doing that. And I've, I honestly, it's so cool because we've always been friends in the respect of like, right. um, I can talk to you about the uncomfortability, adversity, and prejudice that I'm experiencing. And it's always been open ears and honest listening. 
Um, and so like, yes, to use your platform for that is like, I'm extremely appreciative and a big fan even more of your platform because of it. Um, well, so this, yeah, maybe I'll just group it and do it all. Yeah. And yeah. Do that. We can do that. And then this podcast has always been about storytelling yeah. and how we create culture and we create community through storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just, we just need to hear more yeah. black people tell stories. You know what? I actually do know what I want to talk about separate from that. Great, perfect. I want to talk about a little bit of mental health stretching and strengthening that I've been doing. What? Um, I have been taking the time, you, as I told you when I got here, I've been taking the time to really push myself to face some of my own um, race-related and also not race-related uh, like backlogs yeah. that I've had for a long time that I just, I'd never really... Got you. And I think this whole COVID-19 thing, which I know some of us are past that, um, or like some of us and some of us are still right. like in the bunker. No, I know. It's a very strange time. It where is. It's like you, I almost go into people like, do you hug now? Right. Do yeah. Seriously. Touch? Can I hug you? Like, which is wanna, so appropriate. I want to be respectful of where you are. Yeah. But then do you feel weird when you like see someone and then you kind of like don't want to hug them because you're like, I, I, I don't want to like look frivolous and like I don't respect them respect their yes. health bubble no for sure and I've been in really uncomfortable situations where people that I don't know and I've never met before mm -hmm. went in for a hug with me and I'm like I <laughs> don't no. want to hug you not comfortable not in that space but I don't know what to do so I fucking yes. just hug them <laughs> right um Oh, which like dang just like you know that is that's a hot mess that's a hot, that is a fucking, hot fucking mess, mess. that is me fair. saying that is me saying my priorities mm -hmm. and boundaries are not important enough to me that mm -hmm. your comfortability right you being comfortable me not making you comfortable is, is more, more important, important than my boundary than your boundary yes Ooh, word we can i can learn from that i haven't yet so. <laughs> right. it's one thing to recognize it i can it recognize it i can it. see it i'm with that I'm with that. But okay, so this whole COVID-19 experience, though, just like from when people started getting laid off and stuff, I do really appreciate the time we have to process so many different things because we've been hit with like some shit. A lot um, of shit. A lot of shit. And so um, I'm obviously going to save uh, a big portion of my bit for later, but um, I don't know. I'm really appreciative of the, the challenges that I'm t putting on myself to really... Uh, you know, peel some of that onion that's really um So what have you been doing to develop the, the backlog? Like what are yeah, some practices you've um, been doing? So I've been one looking at different forms of psychology um and finding different principles that you know people study and look at uh back from like ancient psychology to uh you know these like you know famous black revolutionary psychologists um in like you know early 40s through 60s mm -hmm. uh did you know that the first woman or the first person to get a phd no the first black woman to get her phd in psychology went to uc i did not know she that. graduated from fucking uc that's a great isn't that cool that's really cool i was like whoa i just love anything any facts about cincinnati because i love it here yeah same we have a good city that we live <laughs> in too. um but yeah so i just been like looking at principles and then seeing how those principles have shown up in my life so do you have an um, example yeah, so um, I've been focusing on double consciousness, which double consciousness was a uh, concept developed by uh, W.E.B. Du Bois um, in his first book. Uh, he was one of the first people to talk about it. And it's essentially about 
um, our consciousness and our values of ourself, our values of our ego, ourself, and then the uh, consciousness that we hold for how we present ourselves to others. In his case, it was specific to uh, black people in America and the culture that they, we hold versus black people in America and how we present ourselves in a white dominant Got it. Space. So really kind of the idea of when I'm with black people, I'm seen and I see myself one yes. way. When I'm with white people, I'm seen and I see yes. myself another way. Right. Or and, you know, sometimes that is also influenced by how you perceive think you're going to be received based on, you know, sure. All sorts of things that we see which, in media and our past experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is wild. So right. just like seeing how that's been affecting how I've been affected. A participant in that mm-hmm. and how that's really you know um just yeah played a, a part in my psyche and then un- unwrapping some of that and really healing like really yeah, I told you today I was like so I'm overwhelmed I'm yeah. extremely overstimulated in some aspects understimulated in others um and so being able to have this time to go through that ha- is really nice because I I'm not in a space where I, I'm currently not working um and i just could not imagine i i always get the a blue a blues sort of season around now um so it's kind of everyone welcome to my seasonal blues of the spring because i always get the spring blues how do you get a spring early summer blue i don't know i wonder if okay remember when you and olivia were talking about the um the like vitamin d deficiency Yes. I wonder if it's something to do with that. If it's something as far as like I get depleted by the end and as we're getting closer to being able to go out into the sun more, I don't know. I feel as if um, it all culminates around that culminates around that time. And like literally May, like April into May. You have like a June gloom. I have a June gloom and it is like serious. It's I the worst experience of my life have generally happened in that time. And I make irrational decisions and I'm learning to yeah. not fall into that. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing yeah. really well with it, but. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I think it's really interesting where you're talking about the double consciousness, because I think it's something that we can all relate to. Exactly. In a sense of how how do we think about ourselves? OK, how does mm-hmm. that correspond and relate to how do people think of us? Exactly. Right. And how are those two factors interwoven? How right. do they like play off of each other? You yes. know, how do they impact how does someone, the way that they think of me, impact the way I'm thinking of myself and vice versa? Like, I right. think it's something that we can all relate to. But then to take it a step further where I don't have that experience of right. that I walk in a room and I'm the only white person. Yeah, but, but the then, white person. like you said, though, we do. And so that uh, concept has been developed and people have really, like, uh, taken taken uh like really the the principles of it and expanded on it and just shown how it does affect different subcultures and you know different uh like women are affected by it you know a woman walks down the street i know you've experienced this and you know men will unabashedly hound and you know just say these things that are offensive and predatory yeah and like just uncalled for unwarranted right um and so you have to put on a persona for that yeah in a way because I, I i just feel like women have to uh, to a certain degree it's like this is the persona that i have to show towards this certain side of the world versus when i'm in this safe space right um right. and queer people as well mm-hmm. um i think we all do it we all have yeah. some sort of a uh, multiple things and then also i one of the reasons why i found it interesting is because you know i love learning about astrology and i am not the most 
versed in it, but I do like to learn about it. And, um, you know, we do see this idea of double consciousness coming up in different cultures or in different uh, phrasing. So you'll see self versus ego Mm -hmm. or sun sign versus moon sign versus rising sign. Um, And so it's nice to just see that I love, I'm a person of repetition. So to see these, like these trends, this concept is not novel or new. Right. It's a shared experience. It is a shared experience. Yes. And to see that and then to reiterate it, but then to see it in such a specific space as well. Um, I'm like all into it. Yeah. And a little to my detriment, but like whatever. No, no, (laughs) but I, yeah, to acknowledge that piece too of there's just, there's so much going on Mm -hmm. and I I just, it's like my brain automatically wants to go to the place, which I think a lot of people can relate to of like, okay, how do I help? Yes. What can I do? I want to take your pain away. And it's the same thing I always say to myself and other people when it comes to grief. Yes. Right. It's not anyone else's job to try to take my pain away the thing that's going to be the most helpful is that you're going to sit beside me in my pain 100 and we're going to be uncomfortable in it and it's going to suck and that's just what it is yes but even but sit there and not silence me or condemn me for going through that experience right or maybe even i don't know is there this element of like do you not want people to pity you there that 100 um and that was one of those things that really I have caught at the beginning of this current wave of, you know, social awareness as far as, you know, racial inequality, police brutality, awakening, Um, awakening for some, but a lot of people have been, have gone through this their entire lives. No, for sure. For sure. You know, but you know, and it is awakening for many, but um, it's an intense, some people it's just a little bit more intensified and it's just a lot more blatant and a lot more, we're all being affected by it a lot more than in the past, I believe. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, like everyone, it's like. To some degree. Some degree. Maybe people have had more experience mm-hmm. or, or people definitely have had more experience. Or even if I'm just thinking on like white people's side, like they were aware of white privilege or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But now it's like, no, you are going to be fucking aware of it. You're going to be aware of it. Yeah. Cause and we it's all up to be you to make the decision if you're going to acknowledge it or if you're not going to acknowledge it. Yes. But like it's in your face right now. It's everywhere. It is. But when it comes to pity, I had to think about that because I was watching um the city hall uh like stream yep when they did it a couple weeks ago after those first protests broke out in cincinnati and um when the protests first broke out and i don't want to like you know go super into the past but when they first broke when they first started i don't want to say broke out because that comes with a violent connotation but when they first you know started we started gathering yeah um you know i just went downtown to have a day out and then a friend texted me. I saw in their story that they were over at the police station and I was just like, okay, you know, they are honoring George Floyd's life, Breonna Taylor's life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm right in the neighborhood. I'm going to go over and I'm going to show up. And, mm-hmm. you know, they was just full of so much compassion and so much love so much compassion. from the community and unity and, unity. and it, it stayed on that level. And there were these moments that were very violent and tried to diminish that. But overall, Cincinnati kept it together I think so. and we all showed up for each other and found a way to to organize and you know um stop it from getting any worse than in some of these other cities but one thing that really struck me as far as the pity thing was when i'm watching this city hall meeting about you know all those protests that were happening um you know we as a community are showing each other empathy and this uh city council member is talking about how he was so proud that these officers are you know uh showing a sympathy and you know showing sympathy for the community and i'm like who the fuck wants sympathy? Yeah. Do not feel bad for me. 
Like right. sympathy is literally saying, I acknowledge that you're going through this pain, but I have no concern if you get out of it. Yeah. So like, you know, that's on you, but I, I, I no longer, right. whatever. I feel ha- bad for you. I feel bad for you. But it's, it's your own thing. And then it's your own thing. What, you know, um, and you know, there are rooms for, there's room for sympathy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, in so many different ways, but I don't think this is one of them. No. Um, I don't think so. and so, yeah, it's like, I, yeah, don't, don't pity, uh, or don't feel that you have to because, you know, yeah, I don't, you don't have to feel bad yeah. in that regard, but just truly, you know, listen and talk and engage. And I'm really blessed and fortunate because most of my friends are willing and open to do it. Yeah. Uh, most of my white friends and, you know, there are black people that also don't want to talk about it. They need a break and they, and they don't want to. So I have to understand that as well. Like, yeah, well, as, we were talking about that. Like you coming over and it's like you're fatigued fatigued. like as as much as as you want to be involved and you're educating yourself and you're doing internal work Mm -hmm. on your own self during this time which is something to applaud you on even like be so i don't know kind of easy to to be like finally fuck people are fucking realizing what Mm -hmm. we have to go through like i'm just gonna like sit back kind of Mm -hmm. thing and like you're like no i'm diving into my own internal work yeah going on but that it's exhausting it sure the fuck is but we have to but we have to do it but also it's it's a marathon not a sprint right and so that's where i was kind of i asked you there i was like you know well what can you do Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself because i think we still have to be mindful of that Mm -hmm. that you know you got to put your ma- oxygen mask on first yes. to be able to even continue to do your own work. 100%. And yeah, and that's, I think that might've been part of, I love that you said that. I think that might've been an encourager for me because um, I have decided that my platform, I was, I wanted to, I don't have a large exposure, but I do think that the people that I'm friends with get it and can really make change or yeah. can influence people to do something different. Um, in you a respect. are influential. You have a, you had a, an I, article in a magazine. You had okay. a photo. You had a photo spread in a, a major Cincinnati magazine. That was just an ode to my grandma, and it was the cutest. It was literally the cutest ode to my grandma in the entire fucking world. I mean, it should have been a cover, but that's you, fine. we're working on it. We're working. We're on working it. on it. Um, but yeah. So so really trying to work with that, and then also, God, there's so much I want to talk about within that double right. consciousness, and I, you know, I've I got into that because I was um on the. Association of Black Psychologists. And I was looking, they have this thing called um, the Emancipation of Emotion or the Emotional Emancipation. And it is all about existing as a person, as a Black person, um, and breaking down those lies of, you know, white superiority that's put on by white supremacists. Um, And because that does affect all of us in, in different ways of how we view classes in each other no, and that's whole sympathy sure it does fucking thing. it for sure does and and i don't i'm not trying i'm not i'm not making a comparison here no, but it's a for, similar I'm, way of like diet culture and women being told like they're not enough right or they need to be a certain way forever right. where it's something that it's not on the same level but it's something you internalize yes and it that, is. as a black person you're internalizing right and that I've white also, people are better than me. Yes, and I do agree with that. As a per, like when in, in fashion school, and I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't still happen. Um, I have lost the focus in my ideals rather than ideal societal ideals, mm-hmm. um, and let that damage the way that I treated my body as far as consumption, as far as uh, eating disorders, yeah. you know, and different things. And so, yeah, so that was I've been 
reading about, you know, things like that and trying to emancipate the mind from uh, that second consciousness that's not really serving uh, as much. And it is really, really difficult, but I, I'm, it's worth it. I already can tell how much worth it is, even, even though I'm exhausted, like, it's like, okay, if I don't do this now, when the fuck am I going to do it? I'm like 28. No, yeah, it's, it's. And, you know, we all are trying to, like, really develop and become our best selves in so many different ways. And so, especially during quarantine, it was the best time to fucking, like, you don't have to do shit, but when else are you going to, like, really evolve for yourself? Right. um, Heal for yourself. Yeah, it's really about, it's really about healing. But the, the bigger thing that just is coming up for me, too, is, like, where, where are these mandates and these rules coming from why are they being pushed to us to begin with right why are we told as women that we're not good enough unless we're thin right right, why are we told that black people are not as good as white people like where is it fucking coming coming from from? because then it's like are we just treating are we just going to continue generation after generation we just have Mm -hmm. to do the work we have to do the work it's like treating the symptom instead of the disease i think i agree and i think it might be like a respecting of the opinion of someone who doesn't look like you for some reason i don't understand that um but I did. I used to think about that in fashion school because you know I'm pretty expressive in fashion, y'all. I'm Mild, a crazy, mildly black gay man, and fashion. I love fucking prints. It's I look like a fucking virus. Like it's no, all prints everywhere. You are my it's personal stylist. The <laughs> only person, the only person that I would have style me honored. And honestly, you are one of my. You're probably my first client that I've ever had. Um, yeah, but um, and one of the reasons why I started really flirting with wearing women's wear was because in design school, I went to Kent State for five years for fashion design and merchandising. Um, and in school, in my internships, it was primarily focused on women. Sure. And I always realized how many men had a say on the trends that women were to be uh, influenced by. And right. Men it, are telling women what men to wear. Men are telling women what to wear and have a big influence on it. And it really bothered me because these same men would not wear any of the garments that they were putting out and so to have such an opinion about what someone else wears but to not put yourself literally in those shoes was like so bogus to me and mm-hmm. I was just like why the fuck do I want to be a women's wear designer if I don't want to wear the dress mm-hmm. like and not, not everyone doesn't have to do that that yeah. is extreme level I also just love frilly frilly things but that was one of those things that I had to think about like you know am I con- how am I contributing to those ideals mm-hmm. that I'm trying to get the fuck away from mm-hmm. that I don't want to participate in, that I don't want women to participate in yeah. or have to be affected by. Um, it was, that was like one of those things that I had to think about, like, well, right. Let me yeah. try to walk a mile in these shoes. Truly. And now and like, now you do it better I'm than like, anyone. can we get six miles? No, you look so much better in jean shorts than any other woman I know. That's not, the- <laughs> I also don't drive. So, you know, that's part of my fitness routine. <laughs> Oh, what about so yeah, what, yeah, what do you want to talk about? What's your other thing that you want to talk about since I'm I'm giving you my floor? You're going to give me your floor? I'm giving you my floor. Um I do, uh overall, oh wait, no, I wanted to talk to you about I wanted to ask you about the so sorry, I'm all over the, the place. The wild card? Uh the wild card that Let's do it. that uh where we could be putting like with idea in the talk of defunding the police, which mostly is like reallocating funds. Then mm-hmm you know, rather than those funds being lost. Um, the the cool things we could do with them to really boost our our city. Uh, it's yep. obviously a big thing that's going on that's to be considered. And there's so many people that want us to show up and to participate. And it's like, well, what do we need or what do we want 
to make our city better. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of ideas. Yeah. But also, I'm like, I just want to know, like, how we all, like, what would make us all feel better and, like, more participatory in our communities? Yeah. I think that that's a great call out. And I wanted, I wanted to focus on specifically like fitness yes. in, in this space. I think there's, it goes way beyond fitness and there's a lot. We right, right, right. Do. But there's, I, there's so many fucking good things we can do with it. With the For sure. And we were, you know, talking about this before I go to a lot of boutique fitness studios around Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, there's maybe one black person per class, depending on the studio, maybe two, maybe three. Right. Vast, vast, vast majority white. Right. Vast, vast, vast majority of studio owners are white. Right. And as I was thinking about how do I expand to hear black stories, I'm like, I don't see them in the fitness space in Cincinnati. It's not, not, it's not that, I, it's not that I'm not looking for them. I, yeah. I don't see them don't here. See and that. if anyone And you have homies, you obviously anyone? have friends like right. Ashley and you have like people that you connect with. Right. There's people, there are people present, but mm-hmm. it is predominantly white. Yes. And so I think that, of course, it's one thing for brands and companies to do an examination and to say, okay, who are we hiring to expand our diversity? Okay, great. Mm -hmm. That's like step one. But I go to a studio in Brooklyn. I was telling you this studio in Brooklyn, Shakti Bar, um, right by my friend's house, which is kind of how I found out about it. Okay. And they have always kind of been heralded for their inclusion in diversity in the community. Right. And so during this time, a lot of other fitness studios have reached out to them and said, basically, how do we be more like you? It's mm-hmm. not just about hiring a black trainer. Or right. it's not just about hiring someone, a person in color to sit at the front desk. Like, right, right, right. Least, like, okay, yeah, or, or posting black content like it's right it's gotta, it's gotta be, be authentic and laced within the creed just of the more ethics. than that you know yeah and so they are the studio is offering a a three-day course okay. and it's called empowered inclusion for boutique fitness studios yes so one of the owners is studying her phd on women's fitness branding mm-hmm. and its relationship to anxiety and self-compassion mm. Which is incredible Amazing. and like literally the. I might take that just because of like, is it free? Right, probably not. It's okay, free. right, right. Oh, 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 her PhD is studying that. Oh, her PhD is studying the, that. I'm sorry. The course that they're offering, I don't think that they're going to put okay. it out for free. But this is where I would be putting my money. Yes. Into fitness studios to go to purchase go do that. this course. Yes. Because one of the critical lens they're going to look at is. The difference between non-POC teachers giving POC students alignment cues versus POC teachers giving POC students alignment cues. And mm-hmm. where's their room for change in the verbal and nonverbal language within yes. that particular time span? So it's like we need to go – I as studio owners and, as, and in the fitness community, like you need to go beyond about – who you're seeing in your studio and the color of people you're seeing in their studio to how are we treating people of color and black people differently? Mm-hmm. And like, you need to do some examination. On yeah. That. Yeah. Right. And just make sure that it's like not, not a pity, not a, uh, an assumption. Yes. A, a, a anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's racial bias, right. No racial bias. And there it's there. It is. It it's is. going to be there. Right. And we were talking, there are plenty of studios I've been in where I've, I've been extremely comfortable, but I won't, I would be 
a full-blown liar to say that I don't consider race as soon as I walk in. It's what I do in every building because of just, you know, the growing up and just whatever um, observance. But there are plenty of places that I have been in, but there are also every studio that we I've been with you has been phenomenal. Yeah. Everyone no, has it, been and a I, kind, loving person yes. and never treated me any different. Yes. You know, even if I look, walk, looked around and noticed that I might have been one of few yep. people of color. Um, but I've also had the opposite experience at other studios. Um, and I know that there are some places that I just wouldn't go because mm -hmm. I don't see um, a wide range of people being uh, celebrated uh, as far as in, in their fitness journeys. Um, you know, and it's like it's race is important, but it's also like, you know, the diversity in body size, the diversity yeah. in and just so many different things, classes, yeah. you know, um, not holding space for just the elite, realistically. Right, right. And I know that you know, there will be certain fitness studios that their clientele, like they're, it's not going to have an impact on them. And they're right. looking to make money and that's yes. fine. And that's fine. And your, it's your business. It's your mm -hmm. right to do that. But I think that any studio out there that has a claim that they're about community right and they're about building community and their mission and their value is to help build a community then th that's something that you really have to to look into exactly. do your own do your own self-examination because i've said it before like people are going to put their the future of people putting their money are going to be like does this organization does this person does this brand align with my values right exactly and because we got a good. lot of fucking options we out got there so many options and if it, i have an option of one yoga studio that's giving me the same ex similar product mm -hmm. and they're way more inclusive and right. welcoming and community oriented i'm gonna go to that one because inclusivity is fucking lit like yes. it is a good time it is an amazing time. We love to learn new things, um, you know, and yeah, like it, I, we are trying to go places that where all of us, yep. you know, all colors of people, um, races of people want to go places that, that are just a good time. And, sure. And, and reflecting Everyone wants everybody. to have fun. We want to have fun. We want to get fit. Yes. In safe environments. Yes. That's the thing too. That's like, we know I've, we've preached it a million times is that physical fitness meant like these are con contributions to your mental health and overall wellness. And we are right. literally 76% of the wellness and fitness industry is white. Right. 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 And we're saying 25, like it's ridiculous. Exactly. And you know, and I don't know, I think that I love the idea of putting money into grant. I mean, first of all, it is literally healthcare. Like it is. Fitness is a people that are giving these services are angels because they are saving people's lives and they're giving people the tools to really, you know, make their lives better uh, physically and mentally. So I do think that if we use our voices, we should be able to find a way to get them more funding. And so that, you know, maybe they don't have to charge as much um for their memberships right you know or maybe they're able to offer some There's sort community of classes. community classes that you know um host them outside and are area not the same as the premium but like are still something that are getting people moving right. and also like doing something good for that brand um and the people that work within it and yeah. work and go to it and i think a lot of it is accessibility like if we look where all where it's the same it's the same situation of grocery stores and it food. sure is where is there a fitness studio in Avondale. Right. There's one, actually. Okay, punch yeah, house. yeah. Yeah, Punch House. Yeah. But that's great for him. That is good. 
but what about any you know and now finley market like things are popping up there right, too right, right. but that's also it, yeah it's the yeah. west end where west there's end. one gym yeah. on the west end that i know of yeah i think we there's some initiatives that we could creatively think of to just get not get kids involved younger people yeah. involved you know um and you like younger adults and other people involved and give them access to it uh to fitness and to the opp- opportunity to yeah. really change their their physique mentally their and spiritually yeah yeah uh yeah so what are some of your other ideas you said you had some oh ideas. dude i love because first of all 170 million whatever is ridiculous to be funding into this organization uh this militarized organization oh, yeah. i i first of all why is there not a fucking movie theater of any scale in downtown cincinnati i get that we have amc across the thing across but the like river. you know i just think across the river <laughs> across the bridge i think there are little small things that our community could use grocery stores um maybe even you know into some of the convenience stores uh making sure that they have enough products you know like mm-hmm. um feminine health care uh in different neighborhoods uh, and sexual and rep- reproductive opportunities with yes. Planned Parenthood and things like that. I have we've been trying to get the money, mm-hmm. um, but I think now is the perfect time to really stand solid in that and make sure that uh, these organizations are getting the money because they're the ones taking care of a mass majority of our population. Yeah. Um, or, ha- you know, could have the means to. Um, obviously, I think it would be brilliant to put it into fitness I looked up how much it costs projectively to do a uh, blank. And let me get you the source. Please. And the Look amount. Yep. Um, according to Business Journal, uh, September 13th of 2019, uh, it took about $3.5 million to $4 million for the 2017 blank. Yeah. Which was fucking lit. Okay. That was amazing. And on that's not that much money. It is not that much money. And the effect that it has on our community overall is so positive. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it just is one of those things that really enriches our whole city because oh we don't God. have to pay for it. And it's, it's with, we're walking down the street in this, um, experiential, you know, installation in I've never felt bo- more joy booster more attached to my community, you, you know, aligned more like, a part of something. Yes. And the fun thing about it is that it is not specific. It's not a specific uh, thing. It's not like, you know, this, the, the event is not an awareness of any sort of uh, subculture. Mm-hmm. It is not, or, you know, any culture or, nope. or creed there's or no religion. There's no affiliation. It is just for us to really all as a community get to enjoy. Um, and so maybe not just a specifically blink, but just things like that where we are able to just wind down for a fucking week Mm -hmm. and enjoy our each other's company and have conversations Mm -hmm. um just way more often with people that we don't know because that's really what it is you know we're connecting over art and interactions and all this really cool fascinating things um so i would like to see some money going into like a spring version of that um a spring blank Uh, most of the stuff that we do in the spring for the most part, has a lot to do with drinking yeah. uh, or, you know, and we do have a lot of good stuff. And obviously we have Corona, so we have to figure that out. We have um, to figure that out. But I do think that, like, I don't know. I think What's something along along those lines of just entertainment, putting money into the entertainment that's accessible for everyone. Um, People will pay for entertainment. They will. 
But they will. But like for it to be free, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. is kind of a treasure. People are willing to do it more. Everyone can do it. And it's it, it becomes a part of our lifestyles for the whole week. Yep. You aren't doing anything besides this these events. Um No. Yeah, and, and also healthcare. Healthcare needs And also. We we people need access to it. Um there are there's an organization in Cincinnati that's over on Gilbert, and I just learned about this. Um that was and I and I need to check to see what that is like now that the Supreme Court, you know, with the, mm, um, yeah, mm-hmm. with the gender identity situation, um, they, but they are, you know, providing COVID tests, uh, and providing, you know, trans peoples, uh, with, um, you know, these, these essential tools yeah. as far as Good. like healthcare or, you know, assistance within the healthcare industry Good. and stuff. Um, but that needs to be boosted. I mean, I can't, I, I find that extremely, uh dehumanizing that people yeah. that a lot of us I don't have health insurance yeah. um a lot of us are I work in the service industry I'm a server bartender you know or whatever and so now that this all happened I I am like this is priority number one right, you gotta get health care it's in my top five a priority but it's like um scheme or no scheme as far as health care and I don't really think it is but um then more people should have access to it. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we we the preventative could, shit. We need to be able yes. to do for basic preventative yes. stuff, as as an entire uh, country, world, whatever. No one should be afraid to of getting sick and not being able to combat that or or be able to afford basic health the cures for for some of these things. Totally. I mean, we could fucking go on and yeah, on. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. I so appreciate you coming on oh my god thank you and sharing a word with me yes and honestly yes and if i can say just i really am grateful for you as a friend and so many people you've introduced me to uh through your network and just people within our community for the way we show up for each other and so honestly just like I, if i don't know you I, I what i can wish for you is that you are connecting with people you love able to uplift each other no matter race religion creed or or, you know we really have to look out for each other and you know by doing that we really all become richer as a society our money can go up um you you can't just get you you don't just get money leaving anyone out yeah um and so yeah and also just thank you for this opportunity thank you letting my weird voice be out here oh my god thank you and now (laughs) i'm gonna go talk to our main guest yes. about sex oh fuck yes what a good this is a mega episode, episode. oh get it i can't wait to hear what's going on yes 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 my guest today has the only sex therapy group practice in cincinnati the mission is to promote healthy sexuality and great intimate relationships she believes you deserve to have a great sex life and relationships that fire on all cylinders Sex plays a big part in our lives, and when it isn't going well, it can have a huge effect. Please welcome certified sex therapist, Emma Schmidt, and owner of Emma Schmidt and Associates. Hello, Emma. Hi. Thank you so much for having thank, me. Thank you so much for being here. I am truly, I couldn't be, I could not be more excited. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting to talk to someone about this because as you mentioned on your website, sex is a big part of our lives. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a piece of the whole self-wellness puzzle that I see drastically overlooked. Right. Yeah, uh, I agree. And not even only like in relationships, but also just knowing ourself, being a sexual being, right? I think a lot of us, especially here in the Midwest, are very disconnected from us as a person and us as a sexual being. And then that tying into the relationship too, right? If we end up being in relationships, but um, definitely over overlooked um, and not many people are really yeah. talking about it in their lives yeah. and in, their families, yeah. It's, it's true that you're the only sex therapy group practice in the whole city. Yeah, so I always feel weird saying that, but a marketing person was like, this is really good branding. <laughs> so I always feel a little silly because I'm like, there are so many great, we have a really great sex therapist in our in our city. And I think the biggest piece is that we're all continuing this mission of trying to promote a healthy sexuality, continue this conversation. We just happen to be the only group practice. So from that standpoint, it's like it's a nice marketing pitch. But um, there, yeah, people outside of our practice do are phenomenal. It's, but but it is to advance the mission for sure. Well, I think too, it's just a further point of we're not having these conversations enough. Yeah. I don't think that we're comfortable enough talking about it. I don't think that we know or we have the language or like you said, maybe it's our Midwest, you know, personality, but I, I'm happy to have you on so we can further push what I think is a really important conversation to have. Thanks. Yeah. That's why I wanted to start the group practice too, because there, I feel like the more people I could help train to be sex therapist and to have a group or team, like a, a bigger group team, the more opportunity we would be able to have in the Cincinnati area to help more people. And so, yeah, continuing on that conversation, I think is huge. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get into this work? I'm fascinated. I have, I have tons of topics, but I really want to start with how did you get into yeah. it? So I am a Christian and I went to, a, I went to Bible college, uh, trying to become a missionary, thinking that I was going to go to Africa and save everybody's life. But once I was there, I realized, um, there, there were a lot of conversations that I was having with women, with men around not feeling comfortable talking about sex because typically in the faith base, there is a lot of discussion around you don't have sex until marriage. And what we were finding is that people were just shutting off their sexual arousal system. Um, and people were really confused. You know, if I'm in a long-term relationship with someone and I love them, can I have sex? Or with porn, what is it like to engage in porn or like the shame around porn? There were all these different conversations happening specifically with the women I was discussing stuff with. They just wanted to know more about their anatomy and their bodies and just healthy sexual functioning that they weren't getting. And um, in many cases were shunned from trying to even get that information. So um, during my undergrad, one of the professors let me do some research around healthy sexuality, especially with Christians and seeing that a majority of them were actually having sex. They just weren't talking about it because they felt like they were going to get shamed or punished um, in this school. Sure. And so it started this, this passion and understanding for why are we like this? What does the Bible say about this? How do we have healthy sexual functioning in a faith-based community? Um, and then I started volunteering over at Women Helping Women, which is a rape and domestic violence center. And that gave me a, a, a backbone for working 
with women who've been in women and men of sexual abuse, answering their phone calls, going to rape kits um, in court for domestic violence as an advocate. And that really gave me more passion. Like this, not only is this not being talked about, but people aren't being treated fairly in terms of what they need when they are abused. And so um, then I went to my master's program and that just led me on to another spiral of, okay, I'm getting my counseling degree. And I went down to Georgia to get my sex therapy certification, which was a two-year program at the same time that I was getting my master's. And during that time, I also got married. So in 2007, I got married and we just celebrated our 13-year anniversary and we weren't able to have intercourse. And so we had, we had um, decided to not have sex until we got married, um, have intercourse. And then it became like a three plus year experience of not being able to have intercourse and realizing that we kept going to doctors and therapists and people just didn't understand what we were going through or how to help. And I realized there needs to be more in Cincinnati specifically, especially because if we're experiencing this, there has to be other people experiencing this. And that's when I... I started on the journey as well, and it wasn't until I was in my sex therapy certification program that I found out about what a pelvic floor physical therapist was. And I want to talk about this. This shit blows my mind. And to read about like the pelvic floor as an emotional organ, like we we will get into that, but uh, just they're They're magical wizards. (laughs) Yeah, women are magical wizards. So it wasn't until I went to school to find out that like somebody could help me. And I thought, dang, it's a bummer that we don't have more people who are able to advocate for this, who are able to say like sexual dysfunction is a problem and that you can have help and it's very treatable. And once I started in physical therapy, things turned around so quickly, but then we had to work on, you know, this fear of having intercourse then like you can, you can be better physically, but then there's this fear that comes along with that. Um, and then of course, as my career takes off as a sex therapist, I get pregnant and all those sexual challenges that happen. And so there've been a number of things. I think I'm supposed to be a sex therapist because my body likes to challenge me sexually. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I need to research more and help clients. Um, so that's where it really took off. And I've just been diving in. That's where I started from day one. I haven't done anything else except for a sex therapy. Um, and trying to figure out how can we really help people? How can we normalize the conversation? How do we get people in the hands of the right people? You know, not all the doc- not all doctors are specialized in sex medicine. And so we see a lot of clients who um, go from doctor to doctor to doctor, like I did saying, just drink wine, it'll help you relax, or pain's just in your head, um, not realizing that there are doctors who specialize in this and can help. So. A doctor's advice was just drink wine and relax. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we see a lot of, and to be fair, a lot of OBGYNs, they don't get a lot of, they don't have the opportunity to get a lot of sex medicine or sexual health information. You know, you're put into this rigorous program and you have to decide, do I want to learn about surgery and saving somebody's life? Or do I want to learn about vaginismus and, and not being able to have intercourse? So there aren't many people who are going to take this other option or they'll have 15 minutes or maybe a lecture on sexual health. So you really have to take a number of courses to become specialized. And many doctors aren't, um, though we think our OBGYNs that all of them are, and that's just not the case. So um, not to discredit OBGYNs, because I think they're amazing ones out there, but just realizing that they're not all specialized in sexual health. Right, right. It's very similar to a lot of doctors, right? Don't know anything about nutrition. Right. 
So that's another piece. Was your was your issue painful intercourse? Was that was it a physical yeah. concern for you? So uh, it's hard to know what comes first, like the chicken or the egg. So it was painful, but I also had what's called vaginismus, where the pelvic floor muscles spasm and sometimes um, create an experience where you can't have intercourse at all. So meaning like um, the muscles will contract so much where the hole is really small because of the muscle. You're like clamped shut. Yeah, exactly. You're, You're like no entry. That, right. And so then because of that, you can have some tearing or some pain. And some people think like you should just push through it. And then that creates pain and, and tearing and um, other kinds of physical trauma. Um, so yeah, that's what we were experiencing during that time. Yeah, I was hearing you talk about going to, you know, Christian school, Christian upbringing, and I didn't have that experience, but I can absolutely relate to a lack of education around sex. Like I knew all, everything that I knew about sex growing up, I learned from Cosmo magazine. And the extent of that education was like, put an ice cube in your mouth for a fun new twist on a blowjob that your guy will love. Like Like there's not actually education about the female anatomy or I mean I can remember I don't even I didn't when I started my period I did not know that there were two different holes in the vagina yeah or like that the vagina is a hole and then you have pee out of another hole right right, right. like I didn't even know that mm-hmm. I was 14 when I started my period and I didn't know that like that's ab- absurd to me but I did so go to normal. catholic school growing up yeah I did go to like catholic school growing up so I guess there was like it was right. Don't have sex. Right. That's the party line. Don't have sex. Right. And then with Catholicism, like don't use contraception and you know, there are all these other things that come into to play with that as well. And so how do you then have safe yeah. sex or, you know, like, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's like you've said, you're shutting down or you're trying to shut down your sexuality or your sexual urges. And I, feel it must be a similar experience. Like what happens when we try to shut down our feelings? What happens when we try to shut down our emotion? Right. And that's where that, you know, uh, that piece that you referenced earlier, the pelvic floor is an emotional organ. I love that. I'm co-authoring this uh, chapter right now in this sexual health book. And so I've been doing a lot of research and I'm thinking like, so I pulled this thing up and I'm like, that is the most profound sense. <laughs> I just want to make a t-shirt. I love it so much. And it was just in this like, you know, very dull data set that this person says this. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is treasure. So um, what can happen is that when we don't have anybody teaching us about arousal, about desire, about sex, or we're being told don't have sex or don't get pregnant, don't use contraception, um, you know, all the, the things that make us feel guilt or make us feel shame or make us carry these negative messages around sex, What happens then is when you feel that tingling in your vulva or your clitoris, you start to tighten that pelvic floor muscle, right? So I find this person really attractive or I find this thing attractive. I'm not supposed to feel that. So I start to tense up my muscle that we're usually unaware that we're even tensing and um, trying to shut down that response system. And then over time, as we continue to do that, we start to create these barriers and this tension in our body that we don't even realize until we're in a relationship and figure out like, oh, I can't experience these things or I feel hypervigilant when my partner touches me or I don't know why I can't have an orgasm or, you know, why am I experiencing sexual pain? And then you have to unlearn all of these messages that your body is storing this like 
your pelvic floor is an emotional organ because your brain signals down to your body, this isn't okay, shut it down. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting. And I think that we just wouldn't know, like there, there's, there's not enough information out there. And, uh, you know, after I moved past the Cosmo phase of the education, then it was basically just a bunch of trial and error with various partners. And that's not pleasant either. Right. <laughs> or it can't, it can be unpleasant. A lot of like drunken nights flopping around because I'm too ashamed to even engage in sex sober. Right. Because I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. There's there's, there's shame around it. There's embarrassment. And it's so interesting to me because we live in such a sexualized culture, mm -hmm. yet there is so much shame and judgment around our own sex lives. Where do you, where do you think that comes from? Or, or you know, have you, have you thought about that at all? How it's like sex sells, sex sells, everything, but yet don't, don't talk about yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that sex sells piece, it heightens this unex, uh, this platform of um, heightened sexual experience. Like you need to be X, Y, and Z to be great at sex, or you need to look a certain way, or you need to perform a certain way. And so I think we're all going in terrified to have sex because we're thinking, how do I, how can I get to level 10 before I've even experienced level one with a person? And it becomes very performance-based versus you know, and I think you have to identify what is the purpose and point of sex for you. But a lot of times we like to think of it as an emotional connection and a sexual connection. So it's hard for me to perform sexually with someone unless I have that connection with them. Otherwise, it's just performance based. Um, and if we're going in performance based, then we feel really disconnected from that person. And we're going from person to person to person just trying to get maybe a certain need met. And maybe that's performance and that's okay. But are we really missing that other piece, which is intimacy and intimacy is oh, known yeah. and known by your partner. And that's why people drink whenever they go into a sexual situation for a lot of reasons of, I don't want to be known or made fun of, or, you know, uh, feel too vulnerable. So Brene Brown talks about this idea of being vulnerable means that I could, if I am vulnerable, I could either, um, Come up against feeling rejected and told that I'm not good enough, or I could go to another level, which brings me intimacy and closer to that person. So whenever I drink, it becomes a barrier for a lot of people where um, I can then have sex with this person and blame it on the alcohol instead of my true self, instead of saying like, oh, well, I actually really like that, or this is how I am sexually, or, you know, like these are my preferences. And so sometimes we're cutting it off um, because we fear what what being exposed would look like with this other person. Uh, but I think this oh, yeah. idea of talking about sex too is so generational and that, you know, our parents aren't talking to us about it. So we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it with our kids or with our partner. And so we're all just kind of flailing about unless we're reading Cosmo and then we're taking Cosmo's advice, which is still performance based. And, and it used to not be um, so accurate. I don't, I don't know anymore. Um, there are a lot more sex educators that are contributing for sure. Yes. Yeah better, better tips out there. But um, yeah, I think what we're hearing is that people just want to know about their anatomy and how their sexual desire works and the responsive um, cycle and that um, what hookups look like versus being in a relationship and how to talk about these things with their partner before yeah. they even engage in sex or what consent looks like, you know, um, the yeah. conversation is definitely increasing, but I, I think people feel awkward for sure. 
Yeah, no, that's good to hear. And I guess, you know, I think about my early 20s sex life and uh, it's just cringy, honestly, because I, I was incapable at that time in my life of being vulnerable with anyone. And obviously that's like at a very intimate setting of sex, what was I expect? Like that, I was never going to get there. And then to see the difference of like when you can have emotionally connected intimate sex the difference i'm like what if if you knew the difference between the two of like a, a one night stand or hookup and i don't know i guess it's truly could be personal absolutely but and like you said it can fulfill a lot of other needs validation your ego whatever it is outside of like sexual satisfaction but the difference between those two types of sexual encounters is i feel like it's not even the same it's not even like in the same ball game right and you know like i think that's actually a lot of people's experiences in their 20s your brain's still developing i think to like 26 and so we're more likely to make these impulsive decisions and um but to understanding like why do we make the decisions that we did why do why did we feel like we weren't able to be vulnerable i think that's just a 20 year old as well like i think a lot of people would relate to that um but my thing you know as a therapist this is what i Uh, what I do is like understanding the why, like, why did I, why couldn't I be vulnerable? What in my life influenced that? What impacted that? And tracing it back to, to understand maybe a core piece of what led me to that experience and behaving that way too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've had to do a lot of internal work, some therapy to, to arrive to that place, but then it also allows me, wasn't, specifically focused on that sex but absolutely resulted in a much better sex life being able to do that that internal work i want to make a comment too about the generational differences and i'm just thinking about this story again i spent a lot of of my youth in magazines and there was an article about masturbation i had never seen the word I, i mean i was probably i don't know 11 12 had never seen the word, had no idea what it meant. So I asked my grandma, mm-hmm. I was like, what is masturbation? She looked me dead in the face and said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's great. Like there's no conversation. <laughs> oh gosh, I just wanted to share that story. But so I, I saw on your website that according to the American Medical Association, four out of 10 women, three out of 10 men experience sexual problems. What are what are some examples of those progr- those those problems and what concerns or you know some of the the top concerns are your clients coming to you with you know who are you seeing Yeah so you know uh people think sex therapy like if you're a sex therapist you do all types of sex therapy um and for some that is the case but for many we typically like it's even you even niche within sex therapy so my niche tends to be more sexual medicine type of um, challenges. So vaginismus, um, vestibulitis, vulvodynia, sexual, you know, this like sexual, so uh, vaginismus is that tightening of the muscle, vestibulitis, vulvodynia are all what you consider pain disorder. So dyspareunia is like an umbrella uh, for sexual pain, um, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, problems with the pelvic floor. So I team up with a lot of pelvic floor therapists and sex medicine doctors, I see a lot of low libido, um, low desire, desire discrepancies, meaning you and your partner have different types of desire. So maybe you want it more than your partner does. Um, Oh yeah. That's something I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think it's, so that is, I think that 
it is the number one piece that I think most sex therapists see is this um, desire discrepancy and low desire because it's so it, it was so confusing. And I think we're understanding it a little bit more. But for instance, um, in a heterosexual cisgender relationship, a stereotypical situation would be the guy comes in and says, hey, do you want to have sex? And the female partner would say, no, I'm not interested in that right now. I'm too tired. I'm too tired. I have a headache. Um, I am full, you know, whatever that might be. And what happens is then they think like, I have a low, I have a low desire. There's something wrong with me. And there's been this, um, uh, this thing that's happened, especially in America that says, if you're not like your male counterparts, then there's something wrong with you. If you don't have the desire like him, then there's something wrong with you. And what we're noticing is that actually there's nothing wrong with you. You might just experience desire in a different way than him coming and asking you, right? So this is called spontaneous. Sure, at the drop of a hat to be like, let's have sex. Yeah. And I'm like, I need to clean the kitchen. I have this on my to-do list. There's this thing going on. Exactly. But yes, no, absolutely. Let me get there in one minute. <laughs> right. And so it's about learning how do you actually experience desire? And many women specifically have not have not spent time understanding that. So we'll get women who come and say, I don't even know what I want because I'm so used to doing it the way my partner wants. And so exploring how do I experience desire? The desire is the want to have sex. Arousal is what your body feels. And uh, what research is showing is that for many women, arousal actually has to come first before desire comes. So you might've noticed in your relationship where it's not until my partner starts touching me in a, an erotic way that I start to then want sex and my body starts to be wanting sex. Uh, but also identifying, you know, for a lot of women, they'll say, I just want to be able to have a conversation before we engage in a sexual act like that. You hearing me and feeling known makes me feel connected and makes me want to then pursue some kind of physical um, interaction with you. Or maybe it's taking a bath together or doing a sensual massage together, you know, not just going and having penis and vagina sex. Um, or, you know, like if you are in a same sex relationship, being able to identify like what is it that we need? Like, how is our desire different? And what am I needing in this relationship versus uh, like a lot of the research is based on heterosexual couples, which is unfortunate. But I think that talking to your partner and identifying and, and getting into your body and noticing when do I start to feel desire? How can I take note of that and start to communicate to my partner? This is working for me. This isn't working for me. And then starting to um, come together in a compromising type of way and initiating the way your partner wants to be initiated. And um, yeah, just growing in that type of intimacy, like that's intimacy, knowing your partner and being known. Yeah. So what about in situations where it's not even necessarily that one's feeling like, oh, I don't have a sexual desire, or I can't get aroused. It's like, okay, I'm good with having the sex, the good sex that we have once a week. And someone else is saying, okay, well, I would like to have the good sex that we have three or four times a week. Yeah. How do we ha like have that conversation? So I think that's where you all come together and decide, well, how do we compromise here? If I'm not interested in it, is there still something that I could do that feels loving to you in a physical way? So maybe it's, you know, uh, manual stimulation. So like using your hand or using a vibrator or still doing those sensual massages or maybe it's, um, you know, setting up scenarios for your partner that feel really erotic or sending them pictures or, you know, still engaging it with them in ways that work for them, 
even if that's not something that you're interested in that amount of time. But also being able to speak your voice and know that just because they want to have it three or four times a week doesn't mean that you need to have it three or four times a week. And I think that's where some people get lost and start to resent having sex because they do it to satisfy their partner, but they're not really wanting it and they regret it every time they go. So, right. There's no like boundary setting there. Exactly. Yeah. It gets a little rapey in our American culture. And so like, I don't want it, but he's making me, he or she's making me feel guilty. If there's guilt involved, that's usually non-consensual. And so starting to identify, am I, do I really want it? And if I don't, don't have it. Because then you start to build up resentment. You start to build up this negative sexual association in your body. Um, so outside of that, though, being able to meet your partner where they're at and creating a plan. What can I do to help you? Maybe it's not going to be that th three or four times a week. Maybe it's three times a week or two times a week. Um, one time where we're both engaged, one time where maybe I'm just doing something for you or some, you know, like um, we get creative. I think creativity is really important sexually. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Oh my gosh. This is so great already. Um, so I wanted to touch on one thing that came up, <laughs> came up while you were talking about kind of the stereotypical that women have to match their male counterpart in a heterosexual relationship. And I've done, you know, I, I listened to quite a few podcasts on sexuality. It's a topic I've always been really interested in, I think, because I've been fortunate enough to just be able to tap into my sexuality. I haven't felt shame or, or, or guilt or embarrassment around being really open about my, my, my sex life, yeah. my sexual experiences. Um, I think sex is amazing and wonderful. And one of the reasons why I want to push forward these conversations because I think everyone should experience that that like one of the most primal like instinctual pleasures of being a human being that we all have access to mm -hmm. and what I've I've seen and I would like to know your opinion too is that women are really powerfully sexual beings and can have really like libidos to match a man and this is kind of a narrative that that we've been fed or introduced to that like the men are so sexual and need to have sex all the time and blah, 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 and women have to like keep up with them so i'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that topic i love that you said like uh, women are very sexual powerful beings right i think going back to the generational piece of you know if you think about what we see in um mad men i don't know if you ever saw that movie but oh yes that was the culture of um Women have to take it and men get to have what they want, right? And so I think that there's been this major women empowerment that we're still working on in terms of owning our own sexuality, being able to even notice what feels pleasurable, right? And so that can start with noticing what, how do I experience pleasure in other parts of my life? Like with food, what feels pleasurable? With um, playing with my kids, what feels pleasurable? With my partner, what other things feel pleasurable in terms of play? Noticing it in my body and starting to really take more ownership of, uh, of my, my, my female organs and my body and, and what I like and, um, complimenting yourself, being able to affirm yourself and congratulate yourself and find yourself in a positive way versus this culture that's taught us to judge ourselves and, you know, critique ourselves. That's a huge piece in sex body image. And so if we can take ownership too, of the way that we look and the way that we feel, take that back from what society has really like away from us. I think that's really powerful. Um, and also one of the 
big pieces. I honestly don't remember our question, but this is important. <laughs> uh, go, just go. Yeah. <laughs> Nagowski wrote this book, Come As You Are. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was, it was revolutionary in terms of the modern day female sexual desire book and understanding sexual arousal and desire. And because of this book, she then wrote a second book called Burnout. Uh, because these women were coming to her saying, hey, all of that makes sense. I understand now spontaneous versus responsive desire. I now understand myself as a sexual being, but I'm so fucking tired. Like, I'm so tired that I can't even get to that place. I'm so stressed out in my work or in my life. And what she found was this thing called the human giver syndrome and that women are born, especially in America, into this generational experience of when you're a girl or a woman or someone with a vulva, that your expectation is to give to everyone else and not take for yourself. Otherwise you're considered selfish. And so yeah. you give to your family, you give to your partner, you give to your work, you give to everybody else. But if you do anything for yourself, then um, that's considered selfish or like, who are you? You're conceited, you know, whatever. And so I think there's a component to that too, where women don't know how to take care of themselves, don't know how to make space for themselves, don't know and feel bad about it if they do, feel really guilty and, and create have a lot of built-in body shame around if I do something for myself, I'm neglecting everybody else in my life. There's this very intrinsic feeling of I can't do that. And what does that mean if I do try and take care of myself? And so I think there's a block there for a lot of women in terms of trying to get in touch with their sexuality, their sexual being that cuts them off from ex truly experiencing that pleasure that you were saying, like, I feel, I feel really empowered by my body and by my sexuality. And that hasn't been a problem. I think for a lot of women, that piece comes into it, this like human giver syndrome. Yeah. Well, and we, I talk on this podcast a lot about body image and diet culture and just the messages that are telling us we're not enough, we're not enough, we're not enough. And it makes sense of how, if you're absorbing that kind of messaging, can you then show up sexually and be like, yeah, I'm deserving of having this pleasure or I'm going to take what I want from this experience too. Like it, it, it's, it all goes together. It's all related. Exactly. So if you think of your brain as being the biggest sex organ, right? If I'm taking myself throughout the full day, like, oh, my thighs or like, oh, I ate that cookie or like, I'm so disgusting. And then you're, you're showing up sexually, like you're showing up to your sexual situation. There's nothing about that that's arousing to you or your partner. And so you've been tearing your body down all day long. Of course, it's tense and shut down. But if you start to think about like, man, I can't wait to have my partner do this thing to me and I can start to feel it in my body and I start to want to like communicate to my body and to my partner or even to myself if I don't have a partner, then my arousal and pleasure system starts to kick in. But if I'm critiquing myself all day long, of course that's going to get shut down. Your brain is literally shutting that down in your body. And so we have to be able to reframe and see ourselves as the people that are, you know, like our true self versus judging and critiquing and, and and really just being nasty. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's talk about masturbation. Yeah. And I want to know, you know, what tips, information do you have for anyone to be more curious about their body? And then also, you know, what are the benefits? What benefits translate to sex with a partner? Yeah. So um, this is also a tricky subject, especially in the faith-based community, because many people think uh, the Bible says you shouldn't masturbate. 
I have other thoughts, but I think that it's always good to be curious around the teachings that you've had growing up. You know, was this a person telling me this or is this true to what I believe and what I want to believe? So masturbation, sometimes I call it self-stimulation because masturbation can have such a strong negative connotation for people, but you also want to help people own that and get rid of that negative belief, you know, by what society or family or religious people have um, taught. And so masturbation in terms of starting, I think it's really important to take a mirror and look at your vulva. I, I don't know why I assume this, but I assume that this is largely female um, listeners. Yes, I would say largely female. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. On the woman, but like men have these experiences too. So looking at your vulva, most people that I see have never seen their vulva. For men, their penis is there, they're showering, they have to wash it. And it's just like, it's just flopping. Yeah, it's there. It's always out. Yeah. Examine it, look at it, whatever. For women, it's really tough. And no one's told, not many people at least, have told women to, to go look at their vulvas. So uh, taking a mirror and just seeing what's going on. What kind of coloration do you have? What is it like to, um, where is your clitoris versus your urethra versus your vagina versus your anus? Where's that line between your vagina and your anus being that perineum area? Your, the, the what many people call lips are your labium labia and you have a labia majora and a labia minora and sometimes those inner lips are longer than the the outer lips and just noticing like your your body and what that is um and then you can start to touch it so what is it like to massage the labia area what is it what does it feel like to touch that what messages are coming up for me as i'm touching myself where do i start to feel it in my body as i touch myself what is it like to um, touch my clitoral area or the outside of the vaginal opening, parts of the vulva. What is it like to stick my finger in my vagina? What do I feel? Um, and so noticing, you know, what's coming up for you just around observing your vulva and just noticing what it's like to touch, not necessarily for an orgasm, but as an experience of what is it like to touch my body? And you could even start with your neck, like touching your neck. What does that feel like versus my shoulders, versus my elbow, versus my breasts and my nipples? And so we have these different erogenous zones that have different sensitivity of nerve endings. Your nipples and your neck, um, your inner thighs typically have a stronger nerve ending than your elbow and your nose. So focusing on those areas first can be really helpful. And then moving into the vulva area, which has an even heightened sensitivity. And so then I would just suggest, you know, taking some lubricant, I'm a high, like, lubricants, everything. I uh, we Everyone needs some lube. Everybody needs lube. Life-changing. Yeah. A lot, some people think that using lube is a negative thing, but I say use it all the time. Well, and especially, and especially like depending on where you are within your cycle, like you're just going to be naturally more dry, you know, towards like starting your period or whatever, because you're not fertile. Why like just torture yourself? Like Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite lube right now is Uber Lube because it, you can use it in your hair, in your cuticles. It doesn't feel, um, uh, what is it called? Sticky. It's, it doesn't feel wow. like done anything afterwards. It's so nice. And yet, Uber Lube. Uber Lube. Yeah. It feels like you don't have anything on yet. It's very effective in terms of lubrication. I love it. Love it. And it's high quality. Okay. Beautiful. That's, that's good to know. I've just like historically used trojan brand because it's just there and easy yeah. but that shit is sticky mm -hmm. and i feel it like has a kind of a weird smell to it and 
I'm I'm on the market, so that's good to know. Uber Loop. Okay, I'll find it and put a link in there too. Yeah, especially if you use some of those other ones that have that that advertise like peppermint or will help with orgasm because the tingling. Those usually burn and create infections and oh god that don't work well. So um, yeah, definitely look into your lube. The higher the quality, better. Uber Lube, I love it. So I would just take some lube and just start to explore your body around the clitoris. Um, the more you start to touch yourself and, and uh, your body starts to feel aroused, your clitoris fills up with uh, blood, just like the penis. So it's considered the female penis. The um, two clitoral legs are inside of your body. And then like the clitoral hood and the clitoris like start to come out. And so um, it, it can become bigger and it can feel different at the beginning of touching yourself than at the end of touching yourself. So just noticing what feels good. And there's this really good app called OMGS. And what it does is um, it show, it's research-based and it shows tons of different women with different vulvas um, that are exploring their vulvas. And they're teaching you, you know, based on this vulva that I have, this is the way that I like to touch myself um, to feel pleasure. And then um, you or your partner, you, if you do it on your iPad or something like that, it shows you different spots that you can press. And then you can like practice on this on the computer screen. And it can say, that is insane. Know, or like, no, keep trying. And then you practice on yourself. And so that has been really helpful for my clients in terms of just getting to know their body and knowing that there's not one way to masturbate or self-stimulate. There are multiple ways. And um, then different techniques like edging where you get close and then you back off for a little bit and then get close again and then back off to um, if you're wanting to work on orgasm, then that's a really great technique. So that so working on that can be really helpful in getting to know your body and then incorporating your partner into that can be really nice because then you can allow them to you can teach them. You can talk to them about this is what I like or even before um, as a foreplay experience like hey, I want you to touch me in this way, or like, this is what I really enjoy, or here's where I want you to touch me first, or teasing the area. And so being really communicative of that after you, after you know your body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I, I started masturbating with a vibrator mm -hmm. and the way that you're describing it, touching yourself sounds so much more like holistic and the better way to go about it but whatever for better or for worse right i started with the vibrator but it at least allowed me to experiment with just even like what position is my body in that's like easier for me to orgasm yeah. or then i can communicate that or like where fr from what side do you need to come in on that it's easier for me to orgasm right like it's just like all about you have to you have to be able to learn your body first be, first before you can expect to be able to communicate to someone else and no one can read your mind like this is not some fantasy novel coming in for the first time you meet and you have sex and this person like blows your mind because they know exactly what button to push and like it's the best thing ever at least i haven't had that experience <laughs> And sometimes people like to learn together where like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable touching yourself alone, um, trying it out with your partner and doing those exercises together, I think can be really good. A vibrator is really great, especially um, if uh, you don't have heightened sensations, a vibrator can really elicit that, especially um, people who've gone through cancer. Vibrators are really important to get through that scar tissue and allow for that blood flow to keep coming back. So if you've experienced um, cancer through radiation and chemo, um, some of that becomes scar tissue. So you, 
So if you're not feeling the same pleasure, I recommend getting a vibrator to bring some of that back to life. Um, but yeah, definitely vibrator, the positioning. So some people lay on their back, some people lay on their stomach, some people um, use a water faucet or the shower head. So there's so many different ways definitely that you can masturbate. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to make the assumption too, there are, I would, I'm going to know, maybe 50-50 pe- listeners of the podcast, if we're thinking women that are in long-term committed relationships, and then maybe the other half that are dating mm-hmm. or, you know, not in a committed relationship or a long-term com- committed relationship. And that there's a struggle that they have no problem on your own masturbating, orgasming, fine. But then when it's with a partner that you might not have that trust yet or that intimacy yet. And like getting to that place where like, I want to orgasm with this person. I think we're we're going somewhere, but I'm having a, a difficult time. Yeah. What do you say to that? Yeah, I would explore what holds you back, right? How do you deal with mm. this person? Do you feel like you're able to, okay. having an orgasm, I think is one of the most vulnerable things that you can do. And it has to be selfish. Like if you're a person who likes to take care of other people, orgasm is going to be really tough with your partner because it's going to be hard to focus on yourself and let yourself go there, go there. And I was working with somebody the other day who said, it's much easier for me to orgasm if we're doing a 69 type of position where we're both focused on each other than him being completely focused on me. And I thought like, of course that would be the case. That's so much pressure. Um, Wow, that's so interesting. I have never thought that. I've always thought the exact opposite. I'm like, I can't focus enough on myself. I got to be thinking about you. Right, yeah. Yeah, So sometimes it's hard to stay in your own body present if you're doing it with, you know, doing somebody else at the same time. But for other people, it feels like it's way too much on me at this time. And so just noticing like what's coming up for me as I am, what's different for me about being with my partner what is my relationship like with this partner? What are the messages that have influenced me potentially not being able to let go? Um, and just note, just like being aware of your body. There was something else I was going to say with your partner. Um, oh, it's also the, the way that you masturbate yourself is really important to teach your partner. So if they're just going at it and you all aren't communicating with each other, that's going to be really tough. So being able to say, I like, I like it slower and then I like it to get faster as we go on or quicker. Um, If they're just coming straight out of the gate really hard, it's probably going to be painful for a lot of people. And so being able to be very highly communicative with what you're needing from your partner, trying some of that edging technique of getting close, like having um, a lot of pleasure and then backing off for about a minute and then going back in and having a lot of pleasure and backing off and then seeing what happens, you know, during that third time, I think can be helpful. Um, And not trying to, well, I'll say to, if you're trying, many women experience orgasm literally than vaginally. And so some women think I'm going in and maybe I can get myself off vaginally um, and also clearly, but whenever I'm with my partner, I can't. So just noticing like how your body responds and um, that someone some women need that clitoral stimulation at the same time as intercourse. Okay. I have a question about that. So it's like, it's like two separate things or is it coming from the same place? And it's just about how you're reaching it. Because I think majority of the time I have a clitoris 
stimulation, a clitoral stimulation to orgasm. Yeah. But I can have an orgasm from intercourse, but I think in my head that it's just because I'm, it's like rubbing my clit. Right. Okay. Is that what it is? Or is it- <laughs> so it depends on who you ask. There's two bodies of people who say there's no G spot. And then there are other people that say, yeah, we know where the G spot is. So yeah. So it depends on where you ask. If you typically, if you go, if you're thinking about your fingers going into the vagina, where they're the um, fingernails are facing down towards your anus about two inches in and then pushing up is where people think that the g-spot would be so if you go in there push up and then start to do like a like rubbing all the way down the vaginal canal back out of the vagina that would be some places that would have more heightened nerve endings some people would say that the legs of the clitoris inside of the vaginal wall are what you're actually touching some people will say that there is a G-spot and that some people have a deeper tissue than others. And so they're able to feel it more sensitively than other people where like if they have a deeper tissue that you're not able to feel it. So it really just depends on who you ask and what kind of nerve endings are where everybody's body is different. And so I think the biggest piece is not feeling bad if you're not having a vaginal orgasm or that you're not able to feel that heightened sensation in there really noticing what works for you and your body. Like some people can't reach orgasm unless their nipples are being stimulated at the same time or their neck is being touched. So everybody's body is different. And I think that's what's important about exploring yourself and your partner exploring you because the way that you touch yourself is going to feel very different than the way your body, your partner touches you and just noticing what feels better and worse and, and how to communicate that with your partner in a way that um, just feels really Okay. Not many people experience this, but like if you can get to a place where you feel relaxed talking to your partner about these things, it is incredibly vulnerable. And so practice it, write it down, talk to a girlfriend about it, talk to your friends about it, talk to it, maybe write it down and give it to your partner. If you don't feel like, if you don't feel comfortable speaking out about it, but getting to a point where you can then verbally discuss it because um, ultimately that's going to be a really good benefit. I, what I don't want for you all is that you continue to live a life that is performance sex where you just go in and get the job done. I really want you to be able to have the type of sex that feels good for you. Um, something that you want, something that brings you pleasure and enjoyment than something you're just trying to get over with. Right, right. Absolutely. Like you are missing out. You could be missing out on some really amazing sex. And it's it's truly like everything else that we talk about on this podcast fitness, mindfulness, whatever, it is a practice. Mm -hmm. Like if you haven't had these conversations before, yes, it might be challenging, but you'll get through it. And there's a great outcome on the other side of that conversation. I like the idea of practicing with a girlfriend that could, I think I could see how that could be very helpful to someone because you got to get, you got to get your, your words together, your own thoughts and feelings. So then you can go forward. But it also, I mean, it's, it's one of those things I, I'm thinking particularly for, you know, a long-term committed relationship. If you can't have these types of conversations, you don't feel comfortable having these types of conversations. What happens in a relationship when shit really hits the fan, you know, not even related to sex. Like you got to practice having hard conversations with these, with these people in your lives. Yeah. And you know what? I meet a lot of people who say they have really great relationships and this is the one thing that they can't talk about or feel really is. Right. You know, I want to be sensitive to that. I get get that. Yeah. You know, a lot of couples who come to me who've been married for 20 years and have never talked about this, they're having sex, but they they don't know what the other person likes. 
And so I say whatever stage you're in, whatever length of relationship you're in, just start somewhere. It's awkward, yes, but on the other side of awkwardness is really good. It's it's good. Um, it's just about getting through that awkwardness, like you're saying, bringing up that conversation, knowing it's not going to be comfortable, but the more you do it, the better it'll feel. Yeah, yeah. So my next topic I want to talk about maybe is is now teetering on the edge of like relationship-wise. So for those people that are, um, it, I'm going to say like in a marriage or in a long-term committed relationship where their emotional connection is strong and the sexual connect, you know, that, that, that's been present for sure. They can get there sometimes, but maybe on like a day-to-day, you know, week-to-week basis, the sex is not as passionate. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? Maybe is that that's fine. That's okay. There's going to be cycles throughout. If you're thinking your entire life with someone, is it a realistic thought that we're going to have passionate sex every single time? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. So some people would say, you know, just make it happen because otherwise it's not going to happen. So even if it's, we're just getting together to have sex, there are still benefits to uh, what your body is releasing. If having an orgasm and the, the, what it does chemically in your mind and um, hormonally for your body. So some people would say, even if you're able to get together once a week, but it's not passionate, that's better than none. Where other people would say, you know, if you're just doing this performance type and you're not even really in it, like, what does that mean for your relationship? Or, um, you know, but what I hear you saying is like mixing the two and then that being really good, you know, getting that physical, like that physical chemical release that can be really helpful for your body. And then also having other times where we're spending more time on it. We're having that hour where we're just caressing each other and really building up that foreplay and talking. Um, I think that there's definitely room for both. It's just talking to each other and deciding like what's going to work for us in our schedules. Because um, the other piece is if you try and just wait for spontaneous sex to happen, it's highly likely that you're not going to be having sex in your life. Right. <laughs> so at least being on the same page of... Um, well, when generally do we want to be having sex? And I'll have clients even do this thing called a jar activity where they both put in things that they like sexually into a jar in their own jar. And then their partner decides when they're going to initiate, they go in the pool from it. They plan the experience for their partner and invite them in during a time that feels spontaneous for their partner and then engage in that sexual act. And so it's a way to get to know what your partner might want sexually um, a way to initiate the way that they like, um, and really being focused on how can I best love my partner right now? So you can get creative with it too. If it starts to feel like we just want to have sex, but we, um, we don't want to just like bang it out each time. Like we want to be creative. Uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely room for having that performance sex occasionally and also having room for that passionate, uh, more intimate experience. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned like the, the benefits of orgasm. What are, what are the benefits of orgasm? So it's interesting because uh, when you're having sex or masturbating or, you know, like that self-sex, as you're getting closer, if you don't actually end up having an orgasm, something tends to need to be released still. So we'll see a lot of women cry or like release that through tears because this, um, I always want to say oxycotton, oxytocin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, kind of the same thing. (laughs) The oxytocin needs to be released, which is a cuddling hormone. And so there are parts of um, sex with your partner that can make you feel closer to them, given the right, you know, circumstances and that release. 
it can relax that tension from your body. Many people end up doing using masturbation as a way to relieve stress or during boredom or um, getting their mind to be able to stay more present and alert. And so I think that there are a number of different benefits to it. It's like anything, trying to have different parts of your life that feel really, really um, intertwined, like whether you're physically working out, mentally working out, sexually working out. Um, it helps the pelvic floor stay really engaged. It helps your um, the pelvic organs like stay intact. And then gosh, there was something else I just thought about. Um, oh, it helps you stay really connected with yourself too, sexually and like what you like. And so some women can feel like if I haven't engaged in that in a while, I can start to feel really disconnected from who I am sexually too. So the more often that you engage sexually, the more often typically you're going to want it with your partner. And they say statistically, if you go three months without sex, then I know you have a strong reaction. So we typically have a lot of people sex for a year or 10 years. I know. I know. I've heard. I've heard of it. I wanted to control my facial expression. But I couldn't in that moment. Uh, so the more often you engage in sex, the more aware you are of your body and with your partner. The if you go to that three month space, the idea is that you're just going to have to rip the bandaid off and go for it because it's going to be awkward. Don't keep avoiding it. Just go for it and start engaging in that behavior again, because um, otherwise you're just going to keep making excuses for not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I could talk to you for another three hours. <laughs> I do want to, I do want to know just you know about you personally, how do you, what routines, rituals help you stay fit, you know, mentally, physically, how do you take care of yourself? So I could tell you like a general answer that's not actually accurate to what I do, but what I like hope to aspire to do. So what I actually do <laughs> is um, typically um, I, I see my own therapist because that's really important for me to be a good therapist and to be a good sex therapist, working on myself constantly. Um, but, and because I want to be able to know, like, what are my clients experience? I want to be able to have that, that opportunity to having these dates with my partner where we're saying we have to schedule this, even though we're really busy, we have to prioritize ourselves doing that fitness in terms of relationship, the sexual piece. We know a day that we're having sex every week and that we can start to get ourselves aroused during that time. And so we know like, okay, um, even if I'm tired, how can I start to talk to myself and get to know my body and start to get that arousal going throughout the day instead of it being a surprise at night? And sometimes that means my husband brings me Starbucks at seven o'clock at night because he knows it's been a long day. Like what's going to be helpful? So engaging that sexual fitness. Um, and then sometimes I'll do some really good grounding techniques. So uh, whether it's uh, praying or meditating or getting into a space where I'm aware of my thoughts and I'm just trying to calm down the rest of my body. If I feel tension on airplanes, I'll do this thing where I tighten my body and loosen it because I'm scared of flying. So like, how do I do that during my daily life? How can I just take note of what my body feels like throughout the day? So those are like the fitness pieces that I do more routinely. And then of course, trying to do like more physical activity early in the morning to set my day up and just making sure I'm fueling myself with the right things to be alert and active throughout the day. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Emma, what does being fit mean to you? I think that multidisciplinary, okay, it sounds so clinical, but multidisciplinary approach is <laughs> like biopsychosocial <laughs> approach. So, um, 
I know people are saying like balance isn't a thing, but being fit really means I'm starting to realize more so than ever is putting the mask on myself first, right? Taking care of myself first so that I have the ability to take care of other people. So whether that's making sure that I can get up early to work out, making sure that I meal prep, maybe making sure that I set up time to see my therapist or that I'm setting time away um, with my partner. So fit is really like, what am I experiencing biologically? What am I experiencing mentally? What am I experiencing um, socially with my friends and interacting? And so it's that it's definitely like multi-model approach. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I could, I could not agree more. So where can people follow you if they want to learn more? And I think we definitely have to do a part two, because I think that there's, there's more topics I'd love to I'd love to hear from you. I truly appreciate you. So yeah, where can people follow you? Check you out. Yeah. So my website is emma-schmidt.com. And we have some amazing other therapists on our team. We also have a uh, an Instagram page where we're trying to do education there for people who can't afford therapy or just want some information. And that's Emma Schmidt Sex Therapy. And then we're kind of all around Cincinnati trying to do free events, um, free sex Q&A. So if you're ever interested in that or you want to host one, just let me know. And I'm happy to be a part of that. Um, but definitely wanting to get into the Cincinnati community, providing free sex education to whoever needs it. That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I learned a ton. I'm sure people have really great takeaways from this episode. I, I thank you for your time you. and reminder to listeners follow on Insta at what the fit podcast or me at Chrissy Grody, please rate and review on iTunes. It helps drive eyeballs to the podcast. If you like the idea of more people hearing these, this podcast, more people talking about sex, um, post your social media. That helps a lot. And if you're really loving What The Fit, help support the podcast with a monthly contribution on the Patreon. Thank you so much as always, and we'll talk soon.